You are an amazing human being. You're a coach or expert who works hard to make a positive difference for your clients. I'm Joss Willard, and my mission is to help good coaches like you make great profits so you can live an amazing life helping the people you're meant to serve. This podcast is here to help with that. We'll be bringing you the information, resources, experts, and perspectives to allow your practice to make a difference, support the life you want, and reward you fairly and well for the impact that you bring. Welcome to Profit for Coaches. Those of you who love it when I have these episodes that we get to really geek out and dig into the business side of coaching and the nitty gritty of what makes the business work, you are going to love this episode. Hi there, I'm Joss Willard, host of Profit for Coaches, and on today's episode, we're talking with my buddy, Ross O'Loughlin. Ross is a former engineer turned conversion strategist and coach, which means he's got that engineering kind of brain and he's managed to turn it into a coaching tool. He's developed a proprietary conversion system called Open Every Day that helps education and coaching businesses sell sustainably without having to rely on the launch model. And if you've listened to the podcast for very long, you know I'm not a huge fan of the launch model. We're going to find out today what you can do instead of that. Ross talks fast like an Irishman, and he's full of amazing ideas. So buckle up, get your notepads out, and get ready to enjoy the episode. Real quick, our goal here at the podcast is for these episodes to provide techniques, tools, skills, strategies, and inspiration that can help any coaching practice be more profitable. But you want your practice to be more profitable. And while you can get all kinds of great things from this episode and any episode of Profit for Coaches, what will help you even more is advice, guidance, and action steps designed around your unique situation, your life, your practice, your goals, your challenges. How can we best help you with that? The quickest way to get you exactly what you need for your practice is for you to head over to ProfitforCoaches.com. When you're there, click on and grab your Profitable Practice Scorecard. It's absolutely free. It just takes a few minutes. Fill out the scorecard. It will let us know exactly where your practice is and where you want it to go and what you're dealing with. Once you've done that, you'll get a response that tells you exactly what you can do next. The action steps you can take to make your practice more profitable and get you where you want your practice to be as soon as possible. So head on over to ProfitForCoaches.com and grab your Profitable Practice Scorecard today. So here's a good question. Then let's get started with this one. How have you gone from a career as an engineer? Actually, how many degrees do you have in engineering? Two? One? Two. Yeah, I got a bachelor's and then that wasn't enough misery for me. So I went back and got a master's. And then after I got my master's, I realized maybe I'm not supposed to be an engineer. But yeah. Yeah. Only six, eight years into your education. Yeah. Anyway, so how did you go from being an engineering student, a professional engineering student, to the Ross O'Loughlin that you are today, master of the universe? Yeah. So great, great question. So I came from a long family of engineers, right? Like my dad was a computer software engineer. His dad was a civil engineer. My mom's dad was like a refrigeration engineer. My uncle was an engineer. Cousins were engineers. It's just like engineering all over the place. And so the engineering is a safe, reliable career pathway, right? I know a lot of engineers and you end up doing engineering in school and you don't actually end up doing engineering as a profession, right? Like you might get an engineering job and then you leave, but you learn a lot about systems in the world and yeah. problem solving that makes it extremely valuable elsewhere. And 
I could do math and like I was good at physics, good at chemistry. So like take all those boxes, the system and your career counselors are shipping you off to engineering school. <laughs> and it was like, I enjoyed it, but I very quickly found out like I was not made. Like I got a position at Intel in a work placement as an intern. Mm-hmm. And like, to get that position is pretty, it's an elite placement. And it yeah. was based off of my first year marks, which I aced because it was just a repetition of everything you did at your high school exams. I didn't, after my first year, I was like, university is a joke. I didn't even have to try and I got all A's. And <laughs> if it was based on second year marks, I would not have gotten that placement at Intel. I'll tell you that much. But it was like, it was definitely a place where creativity goes to die, right? Like, I'm not sure yeah. if you've ever worked at a large multinational or if anyone listening has ever worked at a large multinational corporation, but it is bureaucracy, like no room for creativity, process and meetings and approval, like all that stuff that just crushes the creativity out of everything. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I very quickly rejected that disciplinary issue at Intel because I was like literally rebelling against the Uh system inside the system. But I was in like my second year of university when I was there, but I like rejected it and went back to the master's degree. And I thought, oh yeah, I was just doing the wrong type of engineering, right? Let me go and do civil engineering. I'm going to do water treatment. I'm not going to work for the man and ship computer processors. I'm going to do something good. And that was better, but it was still like the thought of going to work for an engineering company, Mm -hmm. like as being some junior engineer, just like crunching numbers for some senior engineer, just like... I dreaded it. Now, on the side, there's these things that you do throughout life that you don't really notice or a pattern until later in life. And yeah. I had been writing stuff since I was young. I used to write these awesome stories and I wrote articles for my local newspaper. And then I did game reviews for magazines. Mm. Not that I was just taken for granted because I was hanging out in online forums in the 90s and the yep. early 2000s hosting. So it's just like a lot of practice writing and arguing. Because that's what you do, right? You argue yep. with people on the internet. I had to develop a good use skills. Of time. Funnily enough, it was a great use of time because when you're like arguing on the internet, you get good at arguing. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's a it's player versus player. This is not there's no easy mode on there. Like no. when someone's ego is tapped in an internet fight, they're laying out their arguments, and you gotta you gotta pull apart those arguments, and you gotta counter. Yep. And I learned how to argue in an online forum, which is interesting. But I also had to write in engineering school. I could. I was the guy that was writing the engineering reports. I wasn't the guy that was in the lab doing the extra hours. But right. when it came time to write the reports, I was like, "Guys, you can't write for shit. Give me the <laughs> give me the data. I'll write the report." And then when I got done with my masters, I got a work placement in an environmentally compliant software company, which is as sexy and as interesting as it sounds. And I was just again getting very very bored very quickly. But there was an opportunity there to create some content and to write some content for the website. And I was Mm -hmm. like, let me do that. And I had done, again, another one of these trends just in the background. I was like a child of the internet. I did some basic HTML web design. I had designed some websites. I knew about the stuff. I wasn't like a pro-level designer at all. And I had also done art in high school. So I, I had a visual sense. I always loved to draw. And there was like these elements of creativity that I didn't identify with, but which Mm -hmm. were in the background. And it all just bubbled up to this moment in time where I was at the software company. They had no marketing team because it was just a bunch of developers who had landed into this product. 
and they needed someone to write some content. And I was like, I'll do that. I can do it. And if you're an engineer and you can write content, you are a rare beast. Yep. And the company discovered it and they were like, oh, do you want to keep doing this? And then you want to take control of the website? And from there, I was just, oh my God, I could do this. And I asked a friend about marketing. I was like, what about this? And I read the four-hour work week and Tim Ferriss explained marketing in this really simple way. And I was like, I think I could do this. And then I went down this rabbit hole of copywriting and understanding customer psychology. And I realized that marketing, like engineering is that I was good. And there's a part of me that loves the data analysis and being in the spreadsheets and the testing. Mm-hmm. But that alone was, is not enough for me to feel fulfilled. Right. But you sprinkle in creativity and design and a little customer psychology and talking to people and understanding their pains and problems and futures and dreams. And now you've got this weird, awesome cauldron of helping people and being creative and then analyzing and testing what's working. That was, it just opened up a door. Yeah. And I was like, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's way more interesting than just crunching the numbers on the latest water pollution numbers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's cool. Yeah, no, it's it's almost, hey, look, you were meant to do this. That's how I feel now. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it's funny. My partner, who's just recently started in my company, Joey, my fiance, I should say, she teases me because I'm so enthusiastic about copywriting and conversions and marketing and the whole thing. And she'll sometimes look at me and she's like, you, you just don't stop. You don't, you don't take a break from this stuff. And she's like, I forgot you chose this. It's not like a <laughs> went to university and you got a job and you have some experience. It's like you completely left what you did in university to do this. And it's like your thing, right? It's just funny when you do find your thing, how totally fascinating it can be. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, it's cool. And it's interesting because you being one of the people who comes from that side of things, from that that engineering side and mm. knowing numbers and looking at trends and things like that, knowing how to understand them when you mm. look at them, like the vast majority of coaches I feel mm. fall into, on the business coaching side, they fall into like one or two camps. They're either more like me where they're good with people They're good at looking at systems, pulling them apart, going, okay, here's how this works. For me, I got some great training in how systems work inside of people's heads, the psychology, that kind of fun stuff. So I love that. But we're not so big, like I'm not big on the numbers. One of the reasons I love Profit First is because I don't have to track, I don't have to chase a bunch of numbers. I don't have to get into a PL. I don't have to, whenever like we're in some groups together and whenever people start talking about the funnel side and the tracking and the these numbers and the, the how to get the per click to this to that and I'm just like my eyes are rolling back in my head. I know it's important and I know enough about it to give people base advice, know what I need to be looking for, but I'm not going to spend extra hours getting excited about it's there. But you're the other the other side. You're in that other group that that comes from the there's technical experience, there's loving the numbers, there's loving how that works. I shouldn't actually say your background is from that side, but you've managed to be one of those few that bridges that gap, that loves the human side and the numbers and graphs and charts. And that's, I think that's pretty rare. Yeah, it, it is. Not to be pumping my, myself up, but like I, I definitely have seen that, that there's very few people out there that can do both. And Perry Marshall, he's a guy who's in the marketing space. He's, a, he's an engineer as well, who mm-hmm. also has a creative side to him. And he's, yeah, the people that have those two things, they're rare and they often can write their own ticket, but they're also there's downsides to it as well, because like you can get caught between the two things sometimes. My perspective on it is you only want to be looking at a few numbers. Numbers are, are only useful insofar as they tell you what to focus on next. And if you're looking at too many numbers, 
it's going to paralyze you because you're not going to know what to focus on because you're going to see 12 different areas need work and you can't work on 12 different things at a time. So my perspective is like you're talking just there about the click-through rate on the ad and whatnot. Like I'm only looking to click-through rate on an ad when I'm helping a client or in my own business when I'm trying to see, is this ad working? Yeah. And I'm only working on that when I'm trying to get a new ad work. I have an ad in my business now that's running for a year and a half, nearly two years. It hasn't changed. And I'm just checking in every month or so to be like, is that number still where it needs to be? It is great. Yep. On we go. But like when you're focused on something, I call it the difference between KPIs and diagnostic numbers. Gotcha. I mean, if a KPI is off, you got to double click in and you got to look at all the numbers in here to go, where, why is this wrong? What is about it, this number that's, it's not where it needs to be. Why is that? And there's a set of numbers and you got to look at to see, well, is it this? Is it that? I treat it like I'm coming at it from a water treatment perspective, right? If you turn on the tap and nothing's coming out of the tap, it's not because the tap is entirely broken. Some part somewhere that's not working. Yeah. You don't care that the tap, like the tap turns on and the water comes out, you turn it off. You don't care about the rest of the system like at right. all. But as soon as you turn it on and it's not, now you got to, okay, let's figure out, like, is it the pipe? Is there a block? Is it the system? Is it yep. even coming into the house? Like, double click in to solve that problem. But once it's working, you just need that KPI of, is the tap, does the water yeah. come out when I turn the tap on or not, right? So that's great for me to hear because that's where I come from, coming from the other side of, now I'm weird because I actually was good at the math side of things as a kid, but it was almost physical for me. I could feel the way I would think change yeah, yeah. in my head into the math side. So maybe I'm just weird because I can do it. I just don't love living there. But yeah, that, that concept of, okay, we need to know what are the primary things to look at. And when one of those is flashing red at us, then we go pull some things apart to see why. But as yeah. long as our key performance indicators are working and you turn on the tap and the water's coming out, hey, we're good. Every yeah, once in like a while, coffee. you want to do some maintenance checks. But other than that, Totally. It's like profit first, right? You do profit yeah. first and you do the, what's, what does Mike call it again? Like the instant assessment or whatever. Oh, yeah, instant start yep. To, yep. Yeah. And that's like figuring out your KPIs. And yep. then what happens? Everyone realizes my OPEX is way higher than it should be. And then what you're like, oh my God. And then you got to double click in and you got to download all your expenses and you got to figure out why is this number out of where it is? And then what can I do to change it? But once you get your OPEX to where it is, like you're not really looking at your expenses in that level of detail, like ever again, or it might creep out and then you're going back and hang on a second, like yep. why is my OPEX percentage off again? Or why is the OPEX account going down aggressively? The, the KPI is telling you you need to double click it a little yep, bit. Absolutely. That's, that's cool. how I tend to think about it. Yeah, I think like an engineer. I'm happy. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Should I be happy that I can think like an engineer? Well, it's double-edged sword. So let's get into a little bit about how, how did you go from, all right, you realized that you could understand the world of marketing, especially online marketing. And so how did that, how did we go from there to what you're doing now in helping coaches and educators with their businesses? Yeah. So I went down the rabbit hole that we spoke about earlier and mm-hmm. that really dove into copywriting specifically, yeah. right? Because like I had that writer and that, that writer kind of theme throughout my life and that, that ability to argue, which is what a copywriter really does, yep. makes the argument for why you would want to buy this product over other products and tap into the customer psychology vein to go with. That was like a magic mix of just eternal fascination. And so went down that route, 
And then you learn that the copywriting is important, but so is the list building. Like you got to have a list of people to send the copy to. If no one's reading the and copy, it's not very effective. Exactly. Right. And so yeah. that was like the dynamic that I really latched onto copywriting and list building. And when you're in the copywriter route, you tend to, I was working still as a day job, marketing manager, marketing director for that company, but I was freelancing in the evenings. I was doing some mm -hmm. freelance stuff. And then I made the full-time jump to freelance copywriting slash marketing, where I was just working with clients. I got a couple of retainers and I was working in the online education space, right? Like I was working with a coach and mentor of mine, Kevin Rogers. I was on his team for a while. He's in the copywriting space. He has mm -hmm. other, he coaches clients yep. how to become full-time copywriters. And then like I had been studying Ramit Sethi. I had been following this weird online course space. And that was an area of expertise that I had. And when I made the leap to full-time, I zeroed in on that space. I realized this is a space that really values my skill set. These are the people that are willing to pay me the bigger bucks. Yep. And went down that rabbit hole. And when you go down that rabbit hole as a copywriter, the launch model is a huge part of it, right? Like <laughs> you're talking with other copywriters and the copywriters are like bragging about like they were part of this launch or yep. like studying this big person like Jeff Walker and Ryan Levesque's yep. launch and you're studying their copywriting and their sales pages. There's just a whole like world of internet marketing that's so tightly assigned or associated with copywriting that like the launch model was inescapable and ended up working for a big company in the online education space and did big launches, was on the team that did million dollar launches, huge launch cycle, with massive number of JV partners. And it was very exciting, but it burnt me to a crisp. And it was back in 2016, 2017, when I was in that full-time like launch game. And I'm not sure if anyone listening was in the space back then, but like launches were a golden ticket right up until about 2016. Yep. And then whatever happened, like the market psychology shifted. There was a kind of change in the economic, sociological kind of culture. There's just weird stuff. If you look back, weird stuff started to happen around 2016. And around that time is when the launches started to stop as well. And the campaign I was on, we were expecting to do like three, four million in this campaign. We did like 1.5, which is still a huge amount of money. But for this business, it was a disaster, right? When you're considering the size of the team, yeah. the earn rate, how long we were working on that launch, like we just about covered the expenses to pay like JV partners and everyone on the team was burnt out. I was totally unmoved. I'm like one of the most enthusiastic people you'll meet. Like if you're on personality tests, I'm in like the 95th percentile of enthusiasm. I was so burnt out that I could not. I was like, what have I done? Like I've left this career as engineering to become a copywriter. And I'm now like approaching top of the heap of what we're supposed to do here. And I hate it. I hate it almost more than I hate working for Intel. I said, I got to figure this out because if I have to keep working like this, yeah. it's just not going to happen. So left that company, started freelancing again, working with my own company. And I just said, I had a number of clients that I had in the same online education space, but they didn't want to be doing launches. They just wanted like a steady stream of new people coming in. I knew right. that from talking with them. So I just said to them, listen, let me work with you. Don't pay me unless what we do produces results, but pay me on performance. I will run your marketing systems for you. I'll do the lead gen. I'll take over your lead gen. I'll take care of your email marketing and we'll put together some systems 
And then I just spent two years figuring stuff out with the intention of helping them just get like a steady stream of folks coming through and they weren't so reliant on the launches. And that worked out great, right? Like they (laughs) grew their companies 50, 100% each. My revenues for my business doubled, nearly tripled overnight because I was way more money being paid by performance. And it was a win-win all around. And from there, started to like get the first version of a system that from an email marketing perspective, my clients consistently get new leads and convert them all year round without having to play the big exhausting launch model. Yep. That's cool. I don't want to say it's a common story, but I, I run into that a lot with mm-hmm. folks who, you know, well, let's do the launch. And they're still, it's still launching. Doing launches has tried to relaunch itself, if you'll pardon the reuse of the word five times, but I still see every once in a while, it might be once a year or once every two years. Some folks try and bring back the old thing of, oh, we're doing a launch. I learned from Jeff Walker. Here's my, how I've fixed so that launches actually work now or they're automated launches or whatever the, and it doesn't seem to go anywhere, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe one of these years it will actually take off again. But yeah, I run into a lot of folks who try it or who have built their business around the idea of, okay, I do group sessions. I do a program that goes for a quarter or for two months or whatever. So I spend a month launching that thing and burning myself out, creating content, burning up my social media, sending out all my emails on my list. And I get my, depending on what their ticket level is, usually for that, it's a higher-ish ticket. So they're like 2,000 to 5,000 bucks per player. And they're like, I get my 10 to 20 people in the the program. I work through the program for two months and then I got to do it all over again. And they're just, they get really tired of that. Yeah, yeah, and there's a whole, it's a whole issue. Like exactly as you said, like you're working for a month in the prep for the launch and then you're doing the launch and then you're like exhausted and going straight into the delivery and you're not on your A-game doing the delivery. No. So the chances of you like doing a good job for those people gets lower because you're exhausted. And then you have, you need a break and then you have to go back and do it again. Most people don't want to do that, but it's just like the launch is the only way they've effectively found to be able to get people to join, right? So I'm a, I'm not a poo-pooing launches at all. They're amazing as a strategy when used correctly. And I tell my clients like, yeah, like once, twice a year, go big. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like do a big campaign, host an event, yeah. get some buzz going. Just relying on that as a strategy to get people in. It's unsustainable to do that every month. Yeah. And, and like only doing that twice a year is a massively wasted opportunity because you're only, if you're doing the launch, you're setting for like a week, yeah. card to open max, which means your card is only open like two, maybe three weeks out of the year max. So what are you doing for the other 49 weeks? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it seems you're getting ready to do the next launch. That's what yeah, you're doing. Right? Like and you're not making any money. Yeah. Yeah. But the issue, the psychology that I get my clients to focus on is that's so selfish and you centered. It's unbelievable, right? Your market for the most part is not waiting around for you to sell. Like they're looking for solutions throughout the year. And like, if you're only selling in January and August, like what about the people that need help in May, April, June, right? You have no strategy or solution to be like getting in front of them and getting them started. It just seems, it seems daft from one perspective, but it's how the coaching and education world has been conditioned to think. Especially the online coaching space. Like title of the first episode of this podcast was the coaching industry sucks. And in particular, it's the online coaching industry. And it's not that the industry sucks. It's just that there's a lot of crappy stuff about it. And there's a lot of folks in there who are descendants of two or three or even four generations now of people who are like, this is the model. 
for how to sell high ticket coaching to people that isn't actually coaching. We record some videos and we throw them out and they're all about this person learned how to sell high ticket coaching programs from Mm -hmm. this person whose coaching program was how to sell high ticket coaching programs who he learned from that person whose model was how to sell high ticket. And so it's this giant pyramid scheme of nothingness that's out there. And there's a lot of folks who they mean well, and maybe they've found ways to make things work for a while, whatever, and they've got something they're selling, but there's just so much in the online coaching space of this is what works or this is what has worked. The greats did it this way. It's hard to think about it this way, but the online coaching space has now existed long enough that we can point to people who have retired or moved on or whatever and go, well, it's been done this way for 10, 15 years. It's really, has the internet been around that long? What's going on? 15 years and internet years is a long time. So anyway, I don't even, I don't really know where I was going with that other than that there's so many people. No, but it's like, yeah, totally. Well, I think what I'm picking up from you, I agree is, there's like this meta narrative that kind of exists in the education and coaching space of this is how it's done. This is what yes. works. And unless you're willing to submit to this, you will fail. And yes. this is the only way that it has to be done. And a lot of that stuff is based on like old school direct response marketing, which yes. while incredibly powerful, also secretly became it's old form redundant circa 2005, 2010 with the advent of like social media and mm-hmm. smartphones and whatnot. Not that it's dead. It's just, it's had to evolve yeah. because old school direct marketing was very much putting an ad in a newspaper and the ad had to be like such a killer ad because that mm-hmm. was the only ad you were going to see. And it had to get you out of the seat in one sitting and motivate you enough to like, cut out that coupon and go and mail it in. Mail it in, yep. Or yep. like the sales letters, I, I didn't exist in this day, but like they would sell full on like sales letters to your house and you yep. would open it up and this was the one, this letter had to get you to read the whole thing yep. and then order. But it's just, it's not, it doesn't exist like that anymore because the other type of advertising that exists out there, it's all like this meta battle between branding and direct response. And the direct response guys say branding is a load of nonsense. You can't measure that. And I say, bullshit. Look at the biggest companies on the planet. They're all branding companies. Apple, Coca-Cola, like you name any of the top revenue companies, they have limited direct response advertising and they are entirely brand focused because brand is ultimately what works best but it's very expensive to do if yes. you're on a limited budget and you have small capacity for reaching an audience. But that changed again around the time that social media and smart devices came around because now you could hyper-target very small audiences yep. with direct response and branding. And like now it's getting to a point where you, you have to merge the two and the two's kind of merged into this new form of marketing. And... Like this old way of doing things, if all you're doing is running sales campaigns, trying to get people to buy now, that may optimize sales in the local moment. Like you may get more sales this month than if you didn't do it. But if you're running that same thing every month, people certainly start not. Exactly. It is not going to optimize sales in your business over the long term, like no. at all. And so that's one of the things I tell coaches is you need to be really careful about listening to marketing experts and copywriters, because they will come in and they will say, yeah, I will do a great job. And what they will do is they'll run a campaign 
that will rock your socks off and impress you by maximizing sales in the moment. But you cannot just copy and paste that as a sales strategy and think that's the best, most sustainable way to effectively grow your brand and your business over months and years. And that's part of, I think, where coaches struggle so much because the vast majority of what's out there being sold to them are the copywriters, the direct response guys, or the guys who grew up in copywriting and direct response going, look, I can show you how to get more clients because everyone thinks that I need more clients is that's their problem. And so here comes Johnny Copywriter, who's here's the thing, do this, put it this way, use these particular psychological tools, phrase it this way, and we're going to get you a bunch of money now. And then they talk about building your business around that model, which is mm-hmm. really tough to do long-term unless you're consistently bringing in a whole bunch of new eyeballs every single month. And that's that takes a lot of energy and a lot of money to do. And that's where well, we'll get into into because I'm I'm one of those people that has some questions about branding as an overall arcing thing, just because I'm like, a, you know what? Once you hit a certain point and you have the money to throw at it and you are this gigantic behemoth, branding definitely matters. But I also look at things like, well, Zappos, did anybody know that that was supposed to be about shoes? Did anybody know that Amazon was supposed to be about <laughs> books? They, when they started, that wasn't their brand wasn't what they were focused on. But I, I think you're saying the same thing. When you start, small. Well, I, I, I would I would push I would push back on that just because it depends on how you're defining brand. Okay, fair enough. But I would say I would say Amazon and Zappos were 100 about brand because they did an incredible job and put a huge emphasis on customer support, customer delivery, and yeah. customer satisfaction. Fair enough. I mean, it's yeah. So I you got to know what is the brand. What was it that they were? Yeah. Okay, that's fair. It's because it's brand. In my experience, like, why do you want to be? What do you want to be known for? And what are you actively trying to build a reputation around? Because branding is a term that a lot of people get into in terms of it's your colors and it's this yeah. and that and like yeah. all this other nonsense. And like, that's good. Like you do want your visual element to be consistent and congru- congruent with who you are and your company and all that. Brand is what other people are t- talking about and saying about you when you're not there. Yeah, fair enough. Right. And that's the part that really you want to be able to emphasize. And you want to make people aware of your brand. So it's like, hey, have you heard of this thing? Someone who's familiar with your brand can communicate to them about that thing. Yeah. But it's about, it's a multifaceted thing. Yeah. And it's about building a reputation over time so that your entity has some value and some association in the mind of the market. There's an association in the mind of the market with what you're doing so that you don't have to be doing so much heavy lifting with no one having any clue who you are. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm with you on that. One. For me branding is a longer term play. I think if you if your first thing you're worried about when you're trying to launch your coaching business or or any business is what are my colors? What fonts am I going to be using? <laughs> no, dude. Yeah, totally. But, totally. What do you have to offer the marketplace? Yes. Yeah, and and to a certain extent like your offer is a huge part of your brand, particularly yeah. early on because it's going to communicate a lot about who you are, what you do, how you're willing to show up for people, which again, I would say is all associated to your brand. And then like a lot of that is what you want to be communicating and, and having, how would you describe it? All of that should be informing how you're communicating with the market in your emails, in your posts, et cetera, right? Like that level of authenticity. When it's just you particularly, like the folks listening to this podcast, I'm sure like they're all kind of in that stage of the coaching business where it's them primarily, maybe a handful of other people. So it's about accurately communicating who you are, the work you do, how you show up for people, how much you care. A lot of that is associated to the brand. 
And like, that's the sort of thing that takes time to be absorbed into the mind of the market, right? Like direct response is oftentimes going for the kill shot and the easy yep. win. And there's a time and a place to do that. Do not get me wrong. Like branding and like the whole level of the long-term nurturer and relationship building, like a lot of that is planting seeds, mm -hmm. building at, trust. At some point you have to harvest those seeds. Yes. And that's, and at some point you need to know when to say, or you need to know how to have a call to action. You know how to say, okay, we've built this relationship. Now come work with me. <laughs> like if, if all you're doing is building the relationship and you're never saying, I'm here to help you or are you ready to work with me? You waste so much of that effort. Yeah, exactly. And that's the perfect analogy, right? It is very much about like playing the long game and then having the ability to harvest. But if you're taking that same mentality or analogy and if all you're doing is harvesting right yeah. what do you end up doing you end up cutting the plants that are not ready to yep. be harvested you end up cutting them down to the, a nub you end up ruining the soil and then there's you're not harvesting anything from that no. for any amount of time get no. dead yeah there are seasons you've got to know how to plant how to fertilize and nurture and grow and you need to know how and when to harvest those things and then what the next season is. Absolutely. And you can be doing it at different levels in different fields. Depending on what you're growing, this crop over here, it might be harvest time. Whereas over here in this other field, it's time to plant seeds. In your business, you can be doing all of them or you can have your business set up to continually be doing them. And I think that takes us to where you're at and what you're talking about with how you talk with your clients about open every day and about not building your business on the launch model. And I don't know how much time we want to get into that idea of what's the difference between using launches and yeah. building your business on the launch model versus running a coaching business that doesn't do either of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So like one of the challenges that you kind of face when you're in this space is defining what is a launch, yeah. right? Because a lot of people, it's the same thing in marketing everywhere, right? There's so many terms there's no official dictionary. There's no official definitions. There's no like, you know, doctorate in marketing. Or even if there was, most online marketers would reject the yes. academic approach because yep. like it's there's a very kind of street smartness to online marketing that people kind of wear on their sleeve. And a lot of people, I'm not sure if you've noticed, have a tendency to like make up their own phrases and definitions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So well, that's so, that's half of how they you sell things. Like we both know a guy who's basically just figure out your unique words that you're going to slap on your frame and that's your IP, right? And that's the business. And there's immense value to that, right? I'm a big fan of defining your unique mechanism and differentiating mm -hmm. and all that. But the issue is like, what is a launch? Now, I'm coming from multi-million dollar launch territory where like a launch, that's what, that was my experience. I've done launches that, you know, to small audiences and we did like 15K and people were delighted. Yep. And then like I've done launches really in hundreds of thousands and then launches with millions. Now, I would say I would define a launch as a coordinated campaign where you have pre-launch content, where you are generating new leads largely from affiliate partners. You mm -hmm. don't always have to do affiliate partners, but like you're doing affiliate partners who are mailing to your pre-launch content and there's pre-launch content articulating out the demand narrative. What is this thing? What's the problem? Why is there a need for a new solution? And then there's a coordinated cart open period where you've hyped people up and now it's like, you can finally buy, we've opened the cart. And then yeah. people have a limited time window that they can buy this thing. Very intensive in the communication period. 
mentioned for those five days, you get all your partners to meet, and then there might be another webinar during that time period to answer questions, and then you close it down and you go hard on the urgency and the scarcity in the last 24 hours, and you close it all down, and then you say, I'm not selling this anymore, and then you go off and you deliver on all the clients and the customers that you got. Yeah. And then you rinse and repeat that. Now, I would largely say that like for the most part, a launch also in my mind is how you launch a new product. Like a product launch is right. what you're doing, right? Now, for most people, they'll do the product launch and it works so well. They're like, can we do that again? And they'll go back and they'll rinse and repeat. And even though the product is the same product, they'll rinse yeah. and repeat the marketing strategy and it works. Maybe not to the same extent, but it still works, right? Now, there's also people out there that think if I'm sending four emails and I'm including a deadline, that's a launch. That's just language that kind of persists yeah. in the language. In the world. Like If I have to do any level of promotion, proactive promotion and leadership, like <laughs> that's it's a considered launch. a launch. Yeah. And I would say that that's not the case. You can no. definitely get away with not launching as I described this, where you're doing coordinated pre-launch mm -hmm. content and webinars. You can definitely sell people without doing that stuff. But you're not going to be able to do it with not promoting your stuff, right? No. Like I do know people that have entirely like automated funnels and you just put new leads in and there's automated automatic emails and it is possible to build a business like that. Don't get me wrong. But if you are looking to build a coaching business and you're looking to like grow your coaching business, the best thing you can do is accept that you're going to have to show some level of authority in your content and communication. To that community, to that audience, and proactively show leadership and promote your offers to try and get people started. You don't have to do giant launch campaigns to do it, no. but you are going to have to be proactive in trying to convert people. If I'm hearing it right, for some period of time, your full time mm. job in your business becomes marketing this product, pushing this funnel. Yeah. Whatever it is, well, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you're full-time. Well, initially, I would say there's like when you're launching something, like initially your first coaching offer, yeah, your full-time job is marketing because like, you're just trying to get into conversations with people and say, what do you need help with? How can I help? And right. you're like trying to create the product. And you're just trying to, will you pay me any money? You would pay me some money. Like I did my first coaching offer and it was $500 per person. And my effective hourly rate was probably less than working at McDonald's. Yep. Because it was all just cost paid customer research. This person paid me. Awesome. How can I spend as much time as possible taking you through this curriculum and seeing where you get stuck and identifying like all the obstacles? Right. That was like full-time marketing. Now, once you have an offer and a program that I would say are established, you've got any number of serious people in there and you okay. have an email list, I don't think it would be full-time personally, but you do want to be spending a large portion of your time, 30, 40, 50%. Uh, on communicating externally to your audience and running okay. campaigns to try and lead people in. I know we know some people that say you want to be spending 80% of your time, but it depends on how fast you want to be growing. And it depends yeah. on how much you want to be bringing people in. Like I'm of the philosophy that business is a constant tension between sales and delivery. Yes. Right? Like You have to deliver you, when you, you sell. Like that's exactly a hundred percent. You can, I have a consistent enrollment system that I have set up. Mm -hmm. But it's not, there's no such thing as pure consistency. There's always going to be seasonality of when people are interested in your market to buying. And so there will be periods of time where you'll bring more clients in than you're used to handling. It stresses your delivery. Yes. And you have to go and work on the delivery and you have to invest in it. And now you have extra capacity, which is costing you money. 
So it means you have to go out and you have to try and fill it, right? And it's like this, you're always going to be bouncing back and forth between delivery and sales to some extent. But the challenge is when that tension is just, is a, it is almost like a cyclone where right. it's 100% marketing and then, and it's 100% delivery. Yep. And then because you've been doing no marketing, now you're back at square zero. And that's like the feast and famine cycle yep, or the absolutely. launch model cycle. And that's when like you're just, you haven't got the right balance between the two. Right. So what do we do instead? So I'm personally of the opinion, I'm a systems person. I want to have steady stream of new people coming into my world as much as possible. I like to break it down into like three parts. You got audience building. Some people would call this top of funnel. How do you get people into your yep. world, out of other people's networks, into your network where they can see your message? That's the objective number one. How do I get an audience to talk to? Then there's nurturing relationship, pre-selling, middle of funnel, whatever you want to call it. Once they're in your world, how are you consistently communicating with them, building the case that you can and will get the result for people when they're ready to work with you? So yep. launches try to do that in a compressed time frame where it's like, how do I communicate this entire case in an intense two weeks or four weeks? I'm of the opinion that like, if you're on my email list, I'm going to be making this case to you for four years. I had someone just joined recently and they're on my email list for like three years. And they were sold way back. Just the timing didn't line up, yep. but I'm just constantly pre-selling, building people's belief in people's minds that my method of doing things is ideal for them building the case in their mind that I have the proof and the case studies and I know what I'm doing and I'm of the character for the type of coach they want to be working with. All of that happens in the middle yep. in that kind of how do you nurture, pre-sell, and then move people into the third part, which is the sale. And so bottom of funnel conversion, do you have the ability that if someone comes to you today and says, hey, I'm interested in working with you, can you actually qualify and close that person and get them started? That's a skill that you have to learn. And you don't have to do it on the phone. You can do it on the phone. You can do it in chat. You can do it in different ways. But you need a mechanism to make them want your thing, want to qualify them, make them want your thing, and get them started. Because one yep. of the biggest mistakes I see with certain coaches is they think because they've been conditioned by the launch model, they think the sales letter is some magic device that is going to cast a spell on people and yep. get them to buy. Yep. Why? Because that's what copywriters tell you it is, but it's yep. not true. <laughs> it's almost like copywriters got really good at selling copywriting somehow. Yes, 100%. Now, don't get me wrong. A great sales page will transform your business. Absolutely. In the context of having it as part of a campaign and in the context of you being able to reliably move people to it under the guise that they're making a decision within a time frame. Like, but yeah, hands just, off. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, just throwing people over and over again at that same sales page or writing a new sales page and saying, like, just the copywriting by itself. It doesn't matter how great it is. If you don't have a way to consistently get people to it and something for them to do afterwards, it's got to be part of an overall strategy. Anything, I think, when it comes to your marketing, it has to be part of a system. It can't just be, oh, I'm going to go post a bunch of stuff on social media or, oh, I'm just yes. going to go pay somebody to write me a great landing page or, oh, yes. I'm going to hire a closer. Well, if you're not putting anybody in front of the closer, they're not going to sell anything. You have to put it all together. Yes. The key thing I would pull apart, I've thought about this a lot, the key thing is you need a mechanism for someone to make a decision. If you do not have a mechanism for someone to make a decision, and this doesn't have to be that I'm never going to buy from you ever, it's am I going to buy from you today or this week? 
That's the mechanism that you need. And there's ways to do that. One, the classic sales launch mechanism, which is very kind of one-to-many focused, is you can join now. Here's the sales page. Here's all the information. Here are the case studies. You have to join before Friday. You make your own mind up. I'm going to send all the emails and I'm going to make a case for it, but you make your own mind up. But I'm stopping selling this thing on Friday. That's a well-proven mechanism for helping people make a decision. Right. In that context, a sales page is really useful because it's like, here's all the information. Here's a long form page with absolutely everything you could. You need to make a decision. Spend as much time reading it as you want over the next four or five days and then click when you're ready to join. That's a proven strategy. Now, if you remove the context for making a decision from that and you just have the sales page, this is one of the biggest mistakes I have my clients correct. Refer lead comes into your inbox. Joss, I've loved your podcast. Someone just said I should check you out. How do I work with you? And if you just say, awesome, here's my sales page, the conversion rate on that is close to zero in my experience. Yeah. yeah. Is if you're just sending someone to the sales page thinking the sales page is going to convert them, what are they going to do? They're going to see this long ass page and go, I get back to this later, which yep. means never. Absolutely. Right? So if you're trying to move away from this launch-based model, you have to have the ability in your business to get someone into a mechanism to help them make a decision. If you're not doing a deadline-based thing, you're going to have to have some, in my experience, some level of one-to-one communication or some location where they can show up, get information, and then you're going to lead them into some start date or special offer the- to get this cohort launches yeah. April 1st or whatever. <clears throat> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Man, that's a lot. You've dumped, if somebody goes back and listens to this again, I think they're going to, they'll be able to piece together. If they want to do a launch model, I think you've given them all the basics of what they need. And if they're like, oh, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a crap ton of work. You've given them the basics of what do we do here? So that's great. And I appreciate that. And I think I'd ask two, three questions. For sure. Number one, if someone isn't, wanting to do the launch model. Like you said, the biggest, most important mechanism they need to have is how do I create yeah. a decision-making point? What's, maybe you said it already, but what's the mm. best? If it's me and I'm thinking about, I want to I wanna do something here. I've been doing launches. I'm getting tired of it. I'm not quite in a spot where I can go hire a bunch of people or hire a team, et cetera. Yeah. What's the best way to set this up just to get started turning that crank and bringing people in more consistently? Yeah. So really simple, like one, start mailing your list more regularly, right? Like you have any, I'm, let's operate under the guise of this question that you have an email list, that's where your leads are. You just got to start mailing more regularly. And I'm talking like multiple times a week. It doesn't have to be daily, but just getting on the radar of people and just becoming more familiar with them mm-hmm. or sorry, getting them more familiar with They're you, with you. Yep. and sharing more of like nurturing is about building two beliefs in the mind of your market. The first is you can get the results, which is about your capability. And the second is that you will get the results if they hire you, meaning that's about your character. You're not just going to take their money and run or that you are the type of person that will work well with them, right? So you have to build those two beliefs. And the best way to do that is using familiarity and frequency. So just mail more often with stories about how you're helping people, problems you're seeing in your market, updates from yourself. That's the first part of it. Then the second part is ask more frequently if they would like help, right? What I would say is for a lot of people, they think if I could just do a bigger and better launch, I would convert more people. But you got to realize that there's an upper limit 
to how many people will buy from your launch before you even start emailing. And that's going to be the percentage of people on your list who are active in the market right now. Right. So even if you do a hyper, like it's a diminishing returns curve. It's not an exponential curve. We like no. to think it's an exponential curve because all the sales come in at the end and we just imagine that thing keep going it's up and keep up. going. Yeah, no. Yeah, but it's actually a conversion versus effort curve and it's a diminishing returns curve. And what I would get my clients to do and what I'd recommend anyone listening to here to do is figure out how you can ask once a month if people want help. And how do you do that in a way where it's sustainable effort for you? Maybe that's putting a, a direct offer to be like, hey, I'm looking for five people who want to work on this thing this month. Right. Maybe it's putting an ask out and doing a nine-word email, which is like classic Dean Jackson. Hey, are you still interested in getting this result? Yep. Maybe it's asking who would like help with free coaching call. And then like offering a free coaching call. And then from there, if they're qualified, move them on to a paid offer. Maybe it's running a workshop. Maybe it's a combination of all these things, but you want to be asking your audience consistently and trying to find the people in your audience who are actively paying attention and looking for a solution. And once they've raised their hand, once they've engaged with one of those offers, now you're in a position where, as we spoke about earlier, you're going to move them into that decision-making process yeah. that you have, right? Now, if you're, if you're selling on the phone versus selling a low-ticket thing, like the things will look slightly different. But I would say that's where you just want to start. You just want to be building the case with your existing audience and that trust. And then low pressure, low friction asks regularly to just harvest the folks that are ready, right? And you will get less conversions per ask versus the launch. That's for mm -hmm. sure. But if you're doing this 12 times a year, you're definitely going to get more sales than if you just did launches. Absolutely. Awesome, man. Cool. Does Thanks. that make sense? Did that answer your question? Absolutely. And I think if anybody's listening and they didn't answer the question, they can email jossavaforcoaches.com <laughs> and I'll, I'll forward them right along to Ross and I'm sure he'll be happy to, to help you out. So the question that I always like to ask, especially after somebody has just spent so much time talking about super important things, what are you excited about right now? What's going on in your world that's got you lit up? Yeah, there's a couple of things. Number one, where we're moving on with conversion engineering, we're building out the next version of the, the business here. Yeah. We have a director of operations coming in that I'm really excited to be working about because it also happens to be my fiance. And what I will say, like I've been in big businesses, I've been in small businesses. When you go from one capable person who can think to two capable people <laughs> who can think, it's tremendous. Yep. There's a big difference between having an assistant Mm -hmm. And having a management slash partner who can just like you trust to run with stuff. And it's magic. That's got me so excited. The other thing I'm really excited about is my clients and leveraging. Like, you know, at the time we were recording this, it's a still in that peak kind of hypey AI, GPT yeah, yeah. writing. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff out there. A lot of it's, I think, a noise, but it's an incredibly powerful tool if you're trying to create messaging, write your stuff, et cetera. And I got some exciting stuff that I'm working on with my clients on that end to like, if they're trying to grow a business sustainably, like you mentioned earlier, like what, 50 to 80% of your time on marketing. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes that comes down to content creation. And if we can shorten the amount of time it takes to create that content and help them do a better job with it, that's what we're aiming to do with some of the tools we're building in the program. And it's it's very exciting because it's a whole like bleeding edge new world of figuring stuff out and the results that we're able to get with it is pretty exciting. So yeah, those I think are the two things that we're most hyped about here at the moment. 
That's awesome. Yeah, we've got, I think I'm having, you you know Amy Yamada. She's going to be on, actually, I think by the time this goes live, her episode will have gone live talking about chat GPT and all that kind of fun stuff. And yeah, I think anyone at this point, I'm not a bleeding edge adopter. Like I'm not the guy who's always jumping on the newest thing. But at this point with how fast this is moving and how it's working, I think if a coach or an educator, if somebody who's in the online space isn't looking at this and isn't trying to figure out how do I, not should I, but how do I put this into my business and leverage it so that my business moves faster, moves better, whatever. I think if they're not in that spot yet by now, they're missing out. It's going to hurt them down the road. Is it going to wreck their business? Probably not. But it's, I think you're going to, I've heard some people say, oh, this is another fad. What was the, I don't even remember what it was, the clubhouse, right? Oh, this is just another app. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, no guys, no, this is fundamentally changing. This has been going on for 10 some odd years and it's just now getting out where people can see it. This is not a case of, oh, this came out in January and it's just being adopted super fast. No, this stuff has been around for at least 10 years. It's been getting better and getting better. And now it's coming out to the public and all of your competition And by competition, I don't necessarily mean the other coach next door who coaches your type of clients. I'm talking about big companies that are fighting for people's attention. They're using this stuff. And I get ads every single day from different people about how, hey, our product now includes GPT-3 and And other different things. And it's just like, I think this is important. So yeah, Yeah, I'm glad you're excited about it. And I know you're one of the people that I know that moved on it pretty quickly and was super excited about it. And I'm like, okay, there's an engineer going nuts about computer stuff. But I think it was good. So that's cool. Yeah. So last question then for folks who have listened to this and gone, this Ross guy, he sounds really smart. Whether they need to add you in as well as me or if they need to go, you know what, this Joss guy, he's okay, but Ross is my guy. I like what I'm hearing. I want to go. <laughs> Either way, it doesn't matter to me because I my deal is I believe that there's some people who are meant to serve and others not so much. And the way I help the not so much the best is by getting to the people that are meant to serve them. So anybody for whatever reason that wants to find you, but in particular- yes. They want to find you to help them build their coaching business. How do they find you? Yeah, I would say like if you're looking to this stuff has resonated with you and you're like, hey, I want to get more leads, want to convert more of them without the launch model. How do I get people into my coaching program, my education program more consistently? Like if you're looking to see how we do that, go to openeverydaybook.com, www.openeverydaybook.com and just opt in. I largely run my business with email marketing so that I get you on my email newsletter. We'll start a conversation with you on the other side. If you'd like to chat with me, answer the question, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your your business. You know, hey, if you want to work with me, great. But if you get into a conversation there, we have a bunch of resources. We'll ask some questions to see what you might need help with and we can direct you there so you can learn a little more about our stuff. But best place would definitely be getting a copy of the book and just paying attention to the emails that we send you after that. That's how to get into my world. And if you want to talk to me, just hit reply to any of the emails and it's me on the other end. I read and respond to most of them, not all of them because there's some trolls out there. But uh-huh. if you're one of Joss's people, I'm sure you're going to be one of the people that will get a response for sure. Awesome. Well, thanks, Ross. This has been an amazing conversation. It's gone longer than than most, but I think it's absolutely worthwhile. So I appreciate you taking the time and taking the extra time to have this conversation, man. Anytime, Joss. It was an absolute, absolute pleasure. We went down the rabbit hole there, but that's where the fun happens, right? That's absolutely. Awesome. That's it for this episode of Profit for Coaches. I've been your host, Joss Withard. To make sure you never miss a new episode, go to ProfitForCoaches.com to subscribe now. You'll also find all the show notes, resources, guides, links, freebies, and other goodies that we mention on the show. 
Plus, we've got some special bonuses there just for our subscribers. So to make sure you profit fully from this and each new episode of Profit for Coaches, go to ProfitForCoaches.com now.